Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Hey, if you got your Bibles, we are going to uh, start in Matthew 6, where we've been camping out, and we're going to then jump over quickly to um, Matthew chapter 18. Um, so if you have your Bibles, I, I pray you do, and that you'd open them there. Um, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount and we came to a place in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus' topic at that moment in this sermon is on prayer. And we slowed way down, maybe even to a crawl. And we're just kind of taking each phrase of that great prayer that uh, most people know as the Lord's Prayer. We've been coming to, I think, understand it and receive it as a, the disciples' prayer because Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray. And so today we focus on verse 12 of uh, that, that great prayer. Uh, it's one phrase that I want you to be captured by today. And Jesus told his disciples to pray this way, Our Father, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And so here's what I want to do. I, I want to start off this morning thinking just real quickly with you about the use of this word debt. What does it mean to uh, be a debtor or to, to have debt. And I think the simplest way for our hearts to be captured by this is to kind of use a financial uh, analogy because I think we get that. Um, let me see, you know, if, if you're on the same page with me. When, when you incur debt, let's say maybe you, your house mortgage or a credit card or a car loan or something, when you incur debt, who has to pay? Okay, maybe... maybe. You do. Well, let me ask this. How many of you who have ever gone into debt for something have found that there are lots of other people who are just excited to pay off your debt for you? Anybody? Because I want to meet them. Okay, that's, that's not kind of, you know, how, how the world works, you know. In, in the human economy, in humanity's economy, the deal is with debt, you owe, you pay. That's kind of the, the economy of, of our world. You do this. Now, if you don't believe me, you just put this theory to a test, okay? Tomorrow, call and make an appointment with one of your bank representatives, and you go to that banker and, and say to them, you know, this whole debt thing that I have with you, it's just, it's, it's ruining my life. Um, it just takes the joy away, makes me depressed every time I look at the bottom line. So I don't think I'm going to pay it back. You okay with that? Now, don't tell them that your pastor sent you there. Don't do that. But, uh, but do report to me how that conversation goes. I'd like to know how, how that conversation goes because, you know, in the real world, you owe, you pay. You know, in the, in the street world, on street level with this, there are a group of people who own money, and they're called, uh, named after, you know, a, an aquatic uh, kind of name. They're called loan what? Loan sharks. You know, it's not like a sweet little animal, like a lone bunny, you know, or a lone koala bear or something like this. It's a lone shark because the lone shark knows you owe, you pay. You, that's, just, that's just life it, in in human economy. And so Jesus comes on the scene and he's, 
he's teaching us something about debt as it relates to God, our Father, and as it relates to being in debt to one another. And Jesus says that when we pray, we need to pray, Father, forgive us our debts as we forgive, or have some translations say, have also forgiven our debtors. Father, forgive us of this ocean-sized debt we have of sin against you. Because we all do. Every last one of us have an ocean of moral debt that we cannot ever pay off ourselves that we owe to God. And not only do we each have our own ocean of debt to God, but each of us have also experienced being sinned against. We sinned against God, but we've also all experienced in some way being sinned against. So everyone in this room uh, has debt to God, but is also uh, someone who has, has debtors. And Jesus is telling us that when we pray, we, those, those things go together. And so for you, your debtors may be somebody who's hurt you somewhere uh, along the life. Maybe somebody, somebody who was jealous about you and said twisted kind of harsh things, maybe gossiped about you, maybe cheated you out of something financially, took advantage of you that way, and they didn't care. They, they, they didn't care a bit. Maybe, maybe somebody in your own family, maybe they, they wounded you or belittled you or neglected you or maybe even something far worse, you know? Maybe, maybe that's your story. Maybe a spouse betrayed you or, or left you or maybe a close friend uh, attacked you. See, we, we've all been victims of sin. We all have, we all have debtors. And the big question that we've got to ask when we come to this moment in Jesus' prayers, what are we going to do with our debtors? What, what, what are we going to do with them? That's kind of the big question that Jesus is bringing up here. Now, maybe if you were being real honest today, you would say, well, Joe, on my top ten list of things to get done, that dealing with my debtors thing is, didn't make the top ten. And Jesus is wanting to shake you and me today and say it needs to be way up there on that list you need to deal with 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 debtors you know i've even seen this this debtor issue take place in in churches among the uh, among the people of god just survey here how many of you have ever encountered a difficult person in some church somewhere okay I started to do another survey and how many, ask how many of you was it your pastor, but I'm afraid what the answer will be, so I'm, I'm not going to do that. But in, in, in churches, we've seen this. People hurt each other, sometimes gossip about each other, speak badly about one member to another member behind their back, and that person finds out about it, and it festers, and unforgiveness just kind of grows. And what oftentimes is really striking about that when it happens in a church is nobody expects that it should be any different. It it seems like somehow we just kind of get used to living in a culture of unforgiveness. And Jesus is coming against that in this prayer that he's teaching us to pray. And so 
if, you don't, if you're not clear on anything else today, before you leave this room today, I want you to be real clear on Jesus' thoughts on this. And, and the, the clearest way I know to do it is to help whittle it down a little bit. So I want you to look at that verse again, Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That little word as, Charles Williams wrote this, he said, no word in the English language carries greater possibility of terror than that little word as in this clause that Jesus gives us. Just this two-letter uh, two word. In, in fact, uh, this part of the prayer is the only part of the prayer that Jesus immediately goes and expounds on. If you jump from verse 12 down to verse 14, the prayer is kind of ended, but Jesus immediately jumps back to kind of clarify what he was saying in verse, in verse 12. He says in verse 14, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you also. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. That's kind of terrifying to kind of sort that through. And so today... Today's big idea really is rooted around this one little word, as. They're, Jesus is giving us big meaning in this little two-letter word. And you and I need to have clarity on precisely what does Jesus mean. And so the best way I know to find out what Jesus means in that little phrase there is to let Jesus teach us on it. And so if you go over to Matthew chapter 18, we're going to really focus on verses 23 through 35 today. Um, you can turn there, but the, 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 there's a context, as there always is with Jesus' teaching, because Jesus is actually going to share a parable. And the context is this. The Apostle Peter, if you look at verse 21, the Apostle Peter comes to Jesus and says, hey, I got this forgiveness deal I need to figure out. Uh, how, how many times should I forgive somebody? You know, seven times? And Jesus gives him a different kind of answer than Peter was expecting. And then Jesus, in order to really clarify his teaching here, he tells this story, this parable. And if you have your Bibles open, we're going to start reading that. And uh, we'll pause and then come back to it. But I want to start reading in verse 23. Jesus says this. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven. Now, we have been, uh, our whole study of the Sermon on the Mount has been about the kingdom of heaven. So this parable that Jesus is teaching here in, in Matthew 18 is about the kingdom of heaven. It really was Je Jesus' whole message. His whole message was about the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servant. When he began to settle, one, one of his servants was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that they had and payment to be made. I want to pause right there for a moment in, in this, and I want us to think a moment about that debt. Jesus uses this phrase, 10,000 talents. That is an astronomical number in our day, an astronomical financial number. As I was reading uh, historians and, and, and some commentators on this, it was, there was kind of a, a wide range of, of stuff. One reported this, that the taxes collected in that day that went to Rome, remember they were under Roman occupation and the Romans were ruthless tax collectors uh, taking from everybody that they had oppressed. 
um, and that the taxes from the, the region of Judea and Samaria combined that went to Rome annually was about 600 talents. So, this, I mean, this is a huge number. 600 talents is a huge number. But then when you take it to 10,000, it's like us walking around saying, have you ever said, well, that's like a bazillion dollars. I mean, that's just kind of what Jesus is saying here. This is like an astronomical uh, uh, amount of, of money, too high for us to, you know, do, do the calculations on. Now, that would strike, this, these words would strike the hearers that day on the hill, and real quickly, they would pick up on a few things. The first thing probably that they would pick up on is how in the world did a servant come into such great debt, this, this national, you know, debt kind of size, and there's only one answer. This king must be, like, unbelievably generous. He just must be an unbelievably generous king for this to have happened, for him to have, uh, you know, provided that much money. The second striking thing that I think people on that hill that day would have been, uh, you know, as they listened, would have been struck by is how in the world would a servant take that kind of money from a king and then blow it all? You know, just, just get rid of, of all of it. And they would probably think, this is not a very bright guy. How many of you have ever heard of the title of the movie, Dumb and Dumber? Anybody ever heard of it? This is Dumber. Okay, that's who this guy is, just, just in case you're wondering. A third kind of striking thing, I think, that, that they would think when they thought about this lavish king, but they would notice he's also the king who settled accounts. He's a king that, you know, wasn't just because of sloppy bookkeeping, he had kept good records. But he would come to this moment when he would settle accounts. He, he wasn't the kind of king that, you know, looked at a servant and said, well, you did the best you had, could with what you had, so we'll just, we're just going to let you slide. Now, one of the things that you know, was fascinating to me is this, this parable is only found in one gospel. It's found in the gospel of Matthew. And I think Matthew was fascinated with this parable. Does anybody remember what Matthew did vocationally before he started following Jesus? He was a tax collector. Dude understood accounts payable. You know, he understood that. He, he had heard every excuse in the book. Matthew did. And so I think he, he just got fixated on this. And so he recorded it when the Holy Spirit prompted him. Uh, to write down his gospel. And so in this story, the, the moment comes and pronouncement of judgment it happens and the king says, sell him, sell his wife, sell his children, everything they've got. Now, please understand in that day, debtor's prison was kind of a normal standard thing. It, it, it happened every day and they did it in order to motivate relatives to pay, you know, to get their, their family member kind of out of jail. And so this was common. The listeners that day would have, would have kind of expected it, you know, because they lived in a culture where you owe, you pay. They, they, they knew that. But here's when it gets interesting. Look at what happens in verse 26. He's desperate now. Nothing to lose. So this servant goes for broke. And under normal conditions, you wouldn't normally speak to the king, especially after this has just transpired. But he goes for broke. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, the king. He says, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Please notice the words. 
have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Now remember the size of the debt. It's astronomical, unbelievable. It's almost like this guy's lost his mind. It's a joke. It would have really kind of insulted the intelligence of the king. It would have like, you know, it would have been a little bit like this, how ridiculous it would have been. If you would have said to me, Joe, today after service, I'm going to go out to the Atlantic Ocean, and I got my teaspoon, and I'm going to empty the Atlantic Ocean for you. I would say, okay, we got a counseling center. You know, we, you need some help. You know, the, we, we would kind of go something like that. This, this was... This was like just kind of silly to even say. And, and Jesus' listeners would have fully expected, you know, what would come next. They, they were waiting on the axe to fall and had him sent away because you owe, you pay. They know all about that. But verse 27 happened. And it says this, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. The actual language there is that the, the master was moved to compassion. Uh, there's a, a Greek word that's used there that's just a fun word to say. I want you to say it with me. It's going to come up on the screen. If, if, you're, if you like Star Trek and you're into Klingons, it sounds like a Klingon word. It, it's Splonk Nizomai. Can you say it with me? Splonk Nizomai. Got it? Isn't that fun to say? And it just simply means having had compassion. This king had this moment of compassion. He looks at this frightened, kind of selfish, desperate fool, and he is just filled with compassion. And the king does two things. Please notice the order in verse 27. He released him, and he forgave the debt. He released him. No prison. Saves his family. Frees his children. Restores back his home and his possessions. He's released. He's set free from that. And then the king goes way beyond that. The king wipes out the He forgives the debt. He just completely wipes out the debt. And think about it. This, this incredible, huge ocean of debt that this man knows. Now the question is, who ends up paying that? Because it's missing money. Well, the king does. And not only does he pay this debt, but he is offering to this guy a whole different kind of system of dealing with debt. And what we learn from this is something about King Jesus in the kingdom of heaven. And in heaven's economy of debt, God says, you owe, but I'll pay. You owe, but, but, but I'll pay. This, this is the economy of grace. The king says, I'm going to pay this unpayable debt. I'll take the hit. I'll suffer the loss so that you can go free. You owe, I'll pay. And, and, and friends, I mean, just think about this now. When this man gets home and he sees his wife and he looks at her and knows she's not going to lose her home. And he looks at his kids who come running to meet him. And he, he realizes that their lives are not going to be spent languishing in prison. That they, they got their life back. They got their home back, their possessions back. And they don't have to pay the debt. It's all 
grace. Now think about that in relation to us today. Because this is really an image of the human story. The story of our lives. Jesus says there is a king, there is a God who is incredibly generous and always just. And human beings have accumulated an ocean, an ocean, every one of us, of unpayable debt, moral debt to God. Things like when, you know, we were a little less than honest. Maybe, maybe fudged on taxes or an expense account or something. Maybe you were just unloving towards a, a rowdy five-year-old, you know, in a moment like that. Or maybe a time when you used cutting remarks towards someone when you were unloving, when you should have been more loving. You know, every time God gave you something for which you should be grateful and, and, and you weren't, every time you gossiped, every selfish act, every racist joke, every impure thought, every judgmental attitude, this great big ocean of moral debt. Every one of us is in the same boat. Every one of us. I have tried all of my adult life to move in, in spiritual growth. And it took me no time to sit down and think through a list like that. You know why? Because that's like, that's just the story of the elders. No, I'm kidding. That's my story. That's, I'll probably pay for that with the guys later. But that's my story. That, that's me. That, that, that's who Joe is. It, it's, it's, it's a list of mine. But then there was a day when the king came and said to me, Hey, Joe, you owe, but I'll pay. You owe, but I'll pay. And I hope and pray that you've all heard that voice of the king of kings say that to you. You owe me, but I'll pay. You're a debtor to me, and your debt is so large you could never pay it back, but, but I'll pay. Do you remember the day that the king said that to you? Do you remember when it became very, very clear that his grace would be sufficient for you, and you came to know that it would cost him dearly. It would cost him the life of his son. It would cost him the very best he had, but that he paid it without hesitation because you owed and you couldn't pay, so he paid. He paid. See, that's the first act of this story that Jesus tells. It's kind of the first, first part of it, but there's a second part of it we're told. Starting in verse 28. But when that same servant went out, so that the servant has left the king's presence now, he's on his way home, he went out. He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, notice this, seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. Now, this is the one who, who was, you know, owed this mountain, this ocean of debt. Now, look at what his fellow servant says. He says, so his fellow servant, verse 29, fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. It's the very same phrase that that servant had said to the king. Now, 
Jesus' listeners, I think, expect this guy will now turn around and do exactly what the king had done for him, that he was showed such great lavish grace uh, of this debt that was unbelievably unpayable, and I bet he's just waiting for an opportunity to do that to somebody else because grace is like that. Jesus says this other guy owed about 100 denarii, which compared to the bigger debt was like lunch money. That's just, if you want to compare it, it's kind of like, you know, kind 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 of lunch money. And he goes on, Jesus just, his listeners would know this guy who had been saved by grace, who had been granted great mercy, he, he would just want to do it. So imagine their shock at what, what happened here. And again, I hope you notice in verse 28 the details of that. Instead of showing compassion, he grabbed him, he seized him by the throat because it says he's choking him, and that was the way he treated him. See, this guy... He wanted to actually have hands-on experience of feeling his anger. He wanted to hands-on express and feel resentment and the bitterness that he had locked up against this guy who owed him. He wanted that. He wanted to live in that. He doesn't forgive the debt. He doesn't give the man any moment even to pay it off when this debt was, you know, it was easily able to be paid back. Verse 30 says he refused, and he went and he put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Throws this guy in prison. He violated every gift that the king had just given him, every aspect of it. And and here's the deal. I wonder from the way that Jesus told this, did this guy ever get what had happened a moment ago to him? Did, did Did he ever get... And I don't think he did. Here's one of the reasons I don't think he did. Because he didn't ask the king for grace. Did you notice that? He, he didn't ask the, the king to, to show him grace. Instead, he asked for the works plan. You remember what he asked for? He said, king, I'll repay everything. I'll repay everything. I can take care of it. I'm good for it. I mean, it was foolishness, but he never asked for grace. And then grace was freely given. There's no record of him responding and saying, thank you. There's no record of brokenness saying, I'll I'll do the best I can to make right what I can. Nothing like that. No repentance at all. You know, Jesus had others' encounters with debtors. You know, there was this guy named Zacchaeus. You can read about it later in Luke chapter 19. But when Zacchaeus came in contact with this new economy of you owe, I'll pay, when he came face to face with the grace of God as revealed in Jesus Christ, here was his response to that grace. It says, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. This was not Zacchaeus's attempt to earn Grace, this was simply Zacchaeus' expression of now living in the grace that he received. Living in a different kind of economy. But the story that Jesus is telling this parable, I don't believe this guy ever got it. He ever got what really was going on. I think he only went into that kind of elaborate, you know, falling on his knees kind of thing before the king as a scheme. 
all he wanted, obviously, was just to get off the hook. And friends, there is a world of difference between forgiveness and wanting to get off the hook. There's a, they're light years away. See, when, when you want to be forgiven, you'll have a heart to rebuild. You'll have a heart to repent. You'll have a heart to try to set right what you can, knowing in the relationship with God, you'll never set it all right. Can't do it. But you, your heart will be towards something different. There's a world of difference between forgiveness and just wanting to get off the hook. And I think this guy that Jesus is teaching us, all he wanted was to get off the hook. So one of the questions we got to ask, are we going to be people who just want to get off the hook? Or do we want to live in forgiveness? Do we want that? Now, again, I want to stop here for just a moment and, and be honest and open about my own life because I think it points to something in, in all of us. I've, I'm like that serpent in this story at times. There have been times when I have, in my own way, seized somebody by the throat. There have been times when I relished kind of shaking them in my mind and holding them accountable and saying hurtful things and withdrawing so that they don't experience love from me. I'm that servant. I know that man. And see, the debt between me and God is infinitely greater than how anybody's ever sinned against me. And I, I realize that I am the biggest debtor that I know. And here's why I'm the biggest debtor that I know. Because I don't know your debt. I don't know what's hidden. I don't know your dark thoughts or, you know, your, your, your hidden secrets. But I know this. You got them. We, 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 all, we all have them. I know my failure as a dad. I know my shortcomings as a husband and, and, and as a pastor. I'm keenly aware of all of those realities. I know, I know how my sin keeps me from fulfilling all that God wants to do in and through me. Biggest debtor I know. But here's the deal. You're the biggest debtor you know. Just the truth about you. You're the biggest debtor that you know for those same reasons. And, and in light of that, for you or for I to withhold grace from somebody else should just be unthinkable. Look at verse 31. Jesus says, When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. See, Remember, back in verse 23, we said this was about the kingdom. This was, a, this was a parable about the kingdom of God, about the people of God in, in, in that kingdom, about a king uh, in that kingdom. And it, it, here, Jesus says that the servants in the kingdom were greatly distressed when they saw unforgiveness, when they saw grace lacking by someone who was saved by grace, they got incredibly distressed. And they went and talked to the king. Friends, whenever, whenever in the kingdom of God, we see somebody who claims to be living in the kingdom, who claims to, you know, be a part of the community of grace, have, uh, claims to have received the forgiveness of God, but choosing willingly to live outside of that, to not extend it to somebody else, 
seizing others by the throat, enjoying, if you would almost, this sense of superiority, what do you do? Most of us, what we do is we try to talk to each other about it, somebody else. Did you see what someone Did you notice what the servants in the kingdom did? They went and talked to the king. Their hearts were distressed over it. And they went and they had a conversation with the king about this brother, this sister, who was not walking in the forgiveness that they had had been given, who were walking instead in gracelessness. Friends, that's that's the kingdom of God. To, To live in the kingdom of God and not work towards forgiveness, not live in, in, in grace should be unthinkable. And we as the king's servants should be distressed by it. Final act, verse 32. says, then his master summoned him. So the king is now calling this first servant back again. And he said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy with you? First servant brought back in front of the king. And this time, things are different. This unforgiving servant doesn't say a word. There's no tears, there's no pleading, there's no falling down. Here's why I think. Because he knows. For the first time in this parable, he knows. He know, he's come face to face with his own heart in this. He's standing before the king this time, not in compassion, but in judgment. And the king says, you didn't get it at all. You didn't get the grace. You thought somehow that meant I was going to be a fuzzy-minded king. You just thought I was just going let it, to let it all go away. You thought you could continue to be that same old hurtful, self-centered, unforgiving person that you were. But you were sadly mistaken. You're, you're sadly mistaken. I showed you forgiveness. I granted you mercy. I showered you with love. But you turned it all away. You were offered an economy of grace, but you chose the economy of vengeance. Of you owe, you pay. And so the king says, I'll give you what you want. You can actually have it your way. I'll let you live in that economy. Verse 34. And in his anger, see the king hated it. He hated this was in his anger. His master delivered him to the jailer until he should pay all his debt. And then, friends, again, an incredibly frightening phrase. Jesus tells us the point of the parable in verse 35. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. I don't know how Jesus can make this issue any clearer. And this is why this should be raised to uh, the top of our list of things to to do. Because, see, you got some debtors. It may be a mother or father, you know, a family member, a husband, a wife. Maybe somebody, maybe somebody else in this room. Will will you choose grace? Now, I want to quickly say just a couple words about because we're talking about forgiveness, I want to just quickly say, remind you, we, we've talked about this before, but I want to remind you of a few things that forgiveness is not. 
uh, first, forgiveness is not ignoring a wrong. Forgiveness is not looking the other way, just pretending like, oh, that didn't happen. You know, just trying to make it go away that way. See, if, if genuine forgiveness is going to happen, the opposite has to take place. It has to be named. In, in order to forgive, you've got to declare what, what was wrong. Otherwise, there's nothing to forgive. See, we can't play these little games of nice platitudes kind of thing when we're talking about forgiveness. We've got to be willing to say, that was wrong. That, 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 was just, that was just wrong. Because unless we do, there's, there's no need to enter this path of forgiveness. So forgiveness does not mean that we look the other way. Forgiveness also is not forgetting a wrong. I can't tell you how many times I've had a conversation with somebody who says, well, I, I won't ever be able to forgive them because for I, I can never forget. Uh, you're right. You will probably never be able to forget. Only God has the ability to choose not to remember something anymore. You don't have that capacity, but you can still choose to forgive. You will still remember what happened, but you can cho still choose forgiveness. And In fact, Satan, your, your greatest enemy, loves Loves that you think this. He, he loves that you think you can never forgive because you can't forget. He, he just messes with you in that. And the third thing that forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not reconciling with the wrongdoer. That's not what forgiveness is. When, when you forgive somebody, it doesn't mean that, you know, tomorrow night you're going to be sitting around a campfire holding hands singing Kumbaya. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that. You may continue all the days of your life being estranged from that person uh, relationally. See, forgiveness, and here's why that's possible, why it's possible to forgive without reconciling. Forgiveness only takes one person. It just takes you. Reconciling takes two people. And Jesus here in this prayer is not calling you to reconcile. He's calling you to forgive. So please, don't you go out of here. You're saying, Joe said, you know, if we're going to forgive, you've got you to be reconciled with me. I know I did something horrible to you, but you've got to do it. If you're going to really mean this forgiveness stuff. That, that is not what Jesus is talking about here. Reconciliation does not equal forgiveness. It will have to happen if reconciliation is going to take place, though. Forgiveness will have to happen. One more thing, and there are a lot of other things, but one more thing that I just felt compelled to talk about for a minute is forgiveness is not removing the consequences. Forgiveness does not take away the consequences. It, it, it will take away your right to hold it over somebody's head. But, I mean, think about this. God forgave the children of Israel for their unfaithfulness in the desert. But that whole generation did not get to go into the promised land. They still had to face the consequences of their actions. And oftentimes, we will, we will have to do that too. And people who wronged you may have to live with consequences of their actions. But that doesn't mean you can't forgive them. So what, is, what does forgiveness look like? What, what does it mean to forgive? Well, just a couple of things. Forgiveness is, is first of all, releasing that person, and absorbing the debt yourself. It's releasing and absorbing the debt. In this story, we see the king who releases this one and absorbs this massive 
debt himself, who takes it on himself. And, and again, this is in the same story with this one who intended to pay back, you know, this lunch money that he borrowed. And the first servant that we read about, he, he was supposed to pay that. He was supposed to take the hit for that, that debt, and, and he didn't. See, forgiveness is saying, I'm not holding anything over your head anymore. And, and here's the really beautiful thing about it. You know, just let's play through this for a minute. The, the, things, that, the things that people have done wrong to you, if somebody has said something bad about you, they can't take it back. There's no magical DeLorean like in Back to the Future where they can go back and undo what, what they have said. They can't turn back time. And you and I both know that the word sorry, though it helps some, it can't repair all of that, that damage. But the Bible says God can. That one day he's going to make it all right. And so part of what God wants to do is just release your human soul from thinking you've got you to control this. Thinking that, you know, you've got to live in that you owe, you pay economy. When what God wants to give you is an opportunity to live in a different economy. Not just receive it, but to live in it and extend it to others. Where you say, you owe, you owe me, but, but I'll pay. I'll pay because you don't owe me any more than I owe God. That's the only way that that will work in your heart is when you come to understand that nobody owes you more than you or I owe God. Secondly, forgiveness is ending this rhythm of retribution that our world is stuck in. It's just kind of doing away with that cycle. In his book, Free of Charge, a Croatian theologian, his name is Miroslav Volf, he, he writes about the aftermath of the Bosnian-Serbian conflict, that genocide that took place. And he said that the only way that Christians from those two kind of communities were ever able to begin the process of forgiveness was coming to the reality that God is at work in here and that God would be the one who would ultimately bring about justice. It was the only way that they could get to the place where they could say, okay, we, we can step into forgiveness. And what this meant was they, they gave up their right to hurt. See, we think we have a right to hurt, and we have to give that up for forgiveness, to say I'm no longer going to play those tapes over and over in my head. You know, that tape where you have that imaginary conversation where when you see that person again, you're going to give them that piece of your mind, and you've practiced it and rehearsed it. You give that up. You give up that right. You walk away from that. See, Forgiveness is saying, Father, I trust that you are going to set all things right. I mean, it really is a matter of trusting God. And, and when you do that, when you, when, when you refuse to, uh, to, to play those tapes, you, you, you keep Satan from getting a foothold in your life because that's what he wants to do. He loves, 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 loves when you play those tapes because you stay stuck in, in prison yourself. And friends, here's the deal. Forgiveness is a fight to live in joy. 
Your joy, joy in the Lord, which the Bible says is your strength. It's a fight for your joy. Some of you have heard that, that, that old proverb. I think, I think I heard it as a Chinese proverb that refusing to forgive is like drinking poison and expecting that that guy's going to die. You heard that before? You know, it, it's, it, if you say it out loud and it sounds dumb, guess what? It is. It, it, it's foolishness. Foolishness. Real quickly, I'll land the plane after this, but real quickly, I want to give you three what I think of as keys or secrets to, towards forgiveness. Here's the first one. The first one is simply this. Your greatest resource towards forgiveness is the gospel. The, the gospel of Jesus. R- remembering how much you have been forgiven by God reminding yourself of that over and over again. If you want to play a tape, play that one. How much you have been forgiven by God. And then he wiped the slate clean. No records being kept against you. You're, you're now getting to live in a completely different economy. No longer the economy of you owe, you pay. But now in the economy of you owe and God has paid. King of kings releases you. Restores you as his own child in the kingdom of God. Second secret is this forgiveness forgiveness is a choice before it is a feeling it's a choice before it's a feeling you may never ever ever feel like forgiving somebody you it you may never feel like it you know but you decide that you're not going to let feelings dictate your life you're going to do what you know to be true and right and good from the word of god And you can forgive somebody before you feel like it. Because the truth is, in all aspects of life, you will never feel your way into what's real. But if you will live in the kingdom of God, what's real can change the way you feel. It it, it will do that. You forgive and your feelings will start to catch up eventually. Third secret. Forgiveness is a daily choice. It's a daily choice. It's not a one-and-done decision. You're, you're going to find yourself forgiving somebody who has wronged you deeply. You're going to literally choose, I'm, I'm forgiving them. I'm not going to carry this around anymore. And you start walking that way, doing it actively, choosing that. And one of the ways that you choose it is identifying who you are. You're a forgiven one. You are a forgiven one if If you've trusted Jesus for your eternity, your salvation, your life now, you're a forgiven one right now. And you can live in the economy of of forgiveness. You know, I'm forgiven of the greatest debt I know by God. So I want to choose to live. You owe, I'll pay. Because of that, because God released the records against me. And we can all do this. I can release anyone for anything they've done, regardless of what it is. Now, please hear me say, I understand it is hard. I understand what it feels like to be wronged. But I'm trusting God's promise that he'll make it right. And that's, that's what our job is. That's, that's what all we can do in this is trust in God. Years ago... Um, after World War II had ended, several years after World War II had ended, 
uh, a missionary couple had been asked by some German citizens to go into Poland and meet with a group of Polish Christians there. And so they did. They, they, they were trying to broker some reconciliation. And they met with these Polish Christians and they said, would you be willing to meet with some of those from Germany, some brothers and sisters in Christ from Germany, because they want to face you and they want to ask for your forgiveness because of what their nation had, had done to you. Would, you. would you meet with them? And after kind of a long silence in the room, one of the Polish Christians, one kind of the leader of that, that particular group, looked at them and said this, what you ask is impossible. What you ask is, is impossible. And here's why. Because every stone that this nation is built upon is covered in the blood of our people that Germans spilt. We can never forgive. And the missionaries were sensitive enough to realize that these were emotions that they were still going to have to walk through and that they would come back again. But they decided to end their meeting by saying the Lord's Prayer together. And so they, they all got on their knees and they held hands and they started reciting this prayer that has been recited by Christians for over 2,000 years when we gather. And they said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And they kept praying until they got to those words, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then they stopped. They could not, they couldn't go on anymore. There was just dead silence in the room. And then the one who a few moments earlier had said, never, no way, could we ever forgive. With a trembling voice said, I must say yes, because if I don't forgive, I can no longer say this prayer. I will no longer be able to think of myself as a follower of Jesus. Humanly speaking, I can't do it. Dear God, give me strength. About 18 months later, history records that Polish Christians gathered with German Christians in Vienna. And reconciliation began. Forgiveness was asked and, and received. And a friendship that lasted the rest of their lives began that day. I'm going to ask our, our worship team, start making your way up here if you would, please. Because one of the things that I wonder, just for a moment, is over the course of the last 2,000 years, how many, how many marriages might have been saved? How many friendships might have been repaired? How many churches may not have, have split? If every time the Lord's Prayer was said, we got to that place and we stopped. And we just said to the Holy Spirit, move in us right now. It's going to come up on the screen, this prayer that we've been working at. And we're going to, we're going to say it together in a moment. But when we get to that, that line, we're going to stop short too. And when we do, when we get to that point, I'm going to ask you to just personally pray. 
and let the Holy Spirit do whatever work in you he needs to do. And I'm going to ask you to do two things. I'm going to ask you to ask the Holy Spirit to remind you of two things. To remind you that you've been set free of an ocean-sized debt that you could never repay. And I'm going to ask you to ask the Holy Spirit to bring to your mind just one person. Just one. He may bring more, but just ask for one. One person right now that you see as a debtor to you. And then you start the work of forgiveness right here today. Look at this with me and let's pray it together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debt as we have also forgiven our debtors. You pray now. Just let the Holy Spirit speak. It may be some really, really deep hurt that I couldn't even conceive of, but you let the Holy Spirit speak. Everything in your flesh is probably just saying, well, that person owes they should pay. Just choose to release them. And choose to see yourself saying to them, you owe, but I'll pay. You can do this because the ocean of debt that you had against God has been paid. And in that forgiveness, you will find power to forgive. Holy Spirit, we come. We come now choosing to no longer withhold grace from this person that you've brought to our mind. We choose to take the first step to forgive them as we have been forgiven by you. Thank you, Lord, for setting us free. Thank you, Jesus, for breaking the, the chains of bondage that held us in the captivity of unforgiveness. Thank you for setting us free from the penalty and the power of sin in our own life. And thank you for allowing us the privilege of dispensing grace to someone in our debt. Thank you, Jesus. We come now, Lord, to worship you, to praise you for who you are, for your amazing grace that has set us free. It's in your name we pray.